Haley, you have to be, you and Elliot have to stay married for at least like six years because I have so many the husband did it memes for your anniversaries. Like, perfect. <laughs> absolutely perfect. I have so many that are just well, <laughs> like, and they're they're a fucking plus. Did you hit the button? I did. Okay, so th- so we're going. Yeah. Okay, I just wanted We've to be been sure. Going. I know. Well, that's what worried me. I was like, wait, we know that we're both going, right? Yeah, we know that we're both going. Yep. Are we going to need to clap? Because you're going to, like, laugh no, at me. No, we're done. Okay, good. Because I, I'm like, <laughs> listen, um, my, my mic jack thing is being a little fucky-wucky. And so I was like, if I have to clap right now, I'm going to have to slap myself in the face. Fucky-wucky. <laughs> like, <laughs> fucky-wucky. It's a real but, thing. Nothing but... Uh, just the best production over here. Yeah, yeah. Excellent production here at Crime Culture, the podcast that you're sitting hey. listening to. Um, because we started, apparently. If it's, I'm if dying it's posted, to know. you're listening. That's true. That's true. Or if you're a ghost, you might also be listening right now, right here, in this <sighs> moment. Whoop. Fancy. Very fancy. Um, but yeah, so this What's is Crime going Culture. On? Oh, you know, just the usual existential dread and does life have meaning? No, it doesn't. Do I have rights? Still no. Wow. Um, you know, just, just. I have a fun story before just, we start. Because this is like a bummer. Yeah. Um, so uh, I have a I fun story. I sounded way too happy. I'm sorry. Because <laughs> you know what the episode is. <laughs> Bummers. Uh, yeah. So um, before we start, uh, this past weekend. I was in North Carolina, mm-hmm. and I went to an aquarium, because if you know me, obviously. You gotta. Um, and a kid fell in the touch tank. You're uh, fucking kidding. The stingrays. <laughs> yeah, I didn't tell you before we started recording, because I wanted to tell you now. Uh, but it was just chef's kiss, the funniest thing in the entire world. Obviously, the kid was not in danger. The stingrays in the it's touch tank. It's ankle deep have, water. Oh, it's that too. At, yeah, at best, ankle deep water. Uh, but we we clocked them when we first came into the room because the kid had both arms up to his shoulders in the water and like a knee that was going like kind of over the the yeah, ridge. So he was asking for so it. So I was like, saying. "This fucking kid's going in," and no parents, no <laughs> staff. I mean, I would have I would have given him the nudge if yeah. I thought it would be funny. You um, Harry Pottered the shit out of him. He was your Dudley. Yeah, but Just, wow. and he goes. God damn, yeah. thank I you was, for that. I was, I was around the corner when it happened. And I didn't actually see it happen. Uh, but uh, you heard the splash and the scream. So that's <laughs> all you needed. It was great. I mean, if we're going on light notes, one of my cats has started. You did know this. I did tell you this before. Yep. One of my cats has, it's been two months. And finally, he has started pissing in the litter box once more. And so yep. truly, it's just been a great week for both of us. It's other just been than, fantastic. You know, every other outside factor yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah and let us know let us know how y'all are doing yeah do you we're, we're, funny? About you. we're worried about you yeah did you see a kid did you see that kid fall into that touch if anybody please else was there it. that'd be hilarious yes please send it over and let us know yeah um and um, if you were there why didn't you say hi to Haley? what do you God, have against Haley? you didn't recognize me <laughs> with my full mask on the entire time in a place where nobody else was well, oh, that's uncool. Yeah, if you're, if you're tired of COVID, go to a place where it isn't there. 
Just don't bring it with you. Yeah. No, I'm good. I feel fine. I have a, a, a crick in my back, though, because I went from sleeping in an uncomfortable bed to sitting in a car for two hours to get to the airport, sitting in the bitch seat. Um, then, once we got to the airport, sat on uh, the row in front of the exit row, which doesn't recline. Mm, yeah. And also doesn't have a window. Um, <gasps> that's that's arguably worse, in my opinion. Yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah, I'm a window Yeah, bitch. so I sat there for two hours and then sat in another car waiting to get back from the airport to go back home. So, um, my back is destroyed. Ooh. But yeah, that's, what, that's the fun stuff you get in your late 20s, people. Yeah. Your back gets fucked up from just sitting in a place for too long. Yeah. Um, but Isn't anyway. Anyway. For the youth. That's kind of a long, I think it's a long episode. It's longer than I've usually written. Okay. Um, but here we go. We This week, we're talking about the death of River Phoenix. <gasps> See, I'm looking forward to this. I'm not not yeah. in like a not in like a fucked up in way about it. Yeah, because I like it's like one of those things where it was like I'm gonna go down this rabbit hole eventually, but I just don't have the time, and I don't have to worry about having the time now because you did it for me. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you all about yeah. it. Do you know like the, the broad strokes yes. of what happened? Yes, I know the broad okay. strokes. Yeah. I I still am like heartbroken over like the the residual effects on not just like his family like his brother Joaquin Phoenix but like his ex Martha Plimpton and Keanu Reeves his best friend and yep. that whole that whole shit thing and I mean just like the tragedy like it come like you know it's like a ripple effect yep and like truly and we'll get into it yeah let's get into it yeah so before I uh, really get into it and I'll I'll start explaining. This episode started as a completely different topic and then morphed into this. So I'll get to it in a second. But first, I'm going to tell you about the Phoenix family. So uh, his mother, Arlene Dutz, was born in New York to Jewish parents whose families had immigrated from Russia and Hungary. Mm. And his father, John Lee Bottom, was lapsed Catholic from Fontana, California, um, of English, German, and French ancestry. I'm a lapsed Catholic, and I know where Fontana is. It's like by wow, me. You're like the same person. We're the same person. I Almost. I am just as hot as River Phoenix. Almost, oh, yeah. But I missed my moment. But anyway. Well, in 1968, uh, Phoenix's mother traveled across the United States while hitchhiking in California. She met Bottom, and they were married on September 13th, 1969, less than a year after meeting. Good for them. One of those when you know, you know. Yep. Uh, they traveled along the West Coast, picking fruit and vegetables along the way. Less than a year later, on August 23rd, 1970, River was born. And he was named after the River of Life from the Herman Hess novel Siddhartha. And he received his middle name, Jude, from the Beatles song. Hey Jude. Hey Jude, obviously. Yeah, as you uh, he's, he's the oldest of five siblings Jesus. with sisters Rain, born in 72, Brother Joaquin in 74, followed by two more sisters, Liberty and Summer in 76 and 78. All of these names sound like the type of names that a couple who spends their life hitchhiking alongside yeah, of, and picking, yeah, fruit, and picking yeah. fruit and vegetables. That, that just sounds, that all tracks. That all tracks. Yeah, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Joaquin Phoenix's birth name was Leaf. 
something like that. Some, that sounds about right. So, yeah, th- that name came up a bunch too. So I don't know if that's exactly it, but or if it was like a thing because I'm I don't want to give away your episode, but it could have been like a thing from where he was uh, raised. I don't want to give Dang. too much away. I don't want to give too much away. But anyway, so in an interview with People, Phoenix described his parents as hippie-ish, if you couldn't already tell. Ish. Ish. The family moved across the country uh, many times when he was very young. Phoenix has stated that they lived in um, a quote-unquote desperate situation. Mm. Um, He had no real formal schooling, uh, but showed an early talent for the guitar and often played while he and his sister sang on street corners for money and food to support their ever-growing family which we'll get more into that in a little bit. But the Running on Empty screenwriter, Maggie and Jake Gyllenhaal's mother, uh, Naomi Foner, later commented, quote, he was totally, totally without education. I mean, he could read and write, and he had an appetite for it, but he had no deep roots in any kind of sense of history or literature. Mm -hmm. And George uh, Sulzer, director of Phoenix's last film, Dark Blood, claimed that he believed that Phoenix was disliked. Oh, okay. Good for him. Um, Not good for him, but you know what I mean? That, like, that you know, how people just, like, stigmatize it. Yeah, yeah. and being able, like, being an actor that has to read scripts a lot and, uh, like, go and perform the words that you're reading, like, especially if you have a learning disability, that's a lot to overcome and still be... An absolutely fantastic actor. Yeah, I think Orlando Bloom is another person in that camp. Oh, where really? I believe so. Um, who was is was very open about their learning disability, and like you said, like still, like when words are such an integral part of your career and your livelihood, and you still manage to just get over that hump. It's just it's very. It's 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 yeah. something that not enough people talk about. Like it's just very like hush hush, and it's like oh yeah. I'm sure hear? there are a lot more. I'm sure there are a lot more people in Hollywood that have similar issues that they just don't talk about. Yeah, and they should. Um, but so this episode originally started as an episode about the children of God cult. Mm-hmm. Because as we'll talk about, Phoenix's family were members of the children of God cult, mm-hmm. and that deeply affected River Phoenix for. His the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, so I was starting to do research into Children of God, and then I just got so fixated on River Phoenix that I was like, he needs his own episode. I was going to so say, who hasn't? This is not this is not an episode about the Children of God. I'm going to describe it a little bit, and uh, if anyone finds it super interesting, I will definitely go in and do a more fleshed out episode about the cult itself because there are wild stories about this cult oh shit um yeah but i'll get into like a little bit of it here so in 1973 when phoenix was just three years old the family joined the cult the children of god phoenix's friend joshua greenbaum said in an interview quote they wanted to make a good life for their kids that wasn't the typical white picket fence kind of life obviously they were searching for something Mm. end quote um and just a little bit about how the cult was created. It was founded in 1968 by preacher David Berg, who was initially called Teens for Christ. It consisted of mostly young runaways and hippies, but would eventually evolve to the Children of God cult with over 15,000 members around the world. 
They believed in group living and had hundreds of communes. Members of these communities could be very isolated and they didn't work or send their children to school. Um, so it becomes one of those situations where you try to keep your members all in like one yep. circle so that you're only talking to each other so that uh, nothing can make it into the outside world. Yeah, well, and you're not educating them so that they're exactly. not like developing questions or thoughts of yeah you're you're teaching them everything that you want them to believe yes so the bottoms moved to the cult's main commune in crockett texas where rain was born and john was designated the cult's archbishop of of venezuela and the caribbean and once this happened the family moved to san juan puerto rico where they were basically paupers begging on the street for change after nearly two years, they settled in Caracas, Venezuela, mm-hmm. where they lived in poverty while preaching the cult's message. The family allegedly lived in a rat-infested slum that had no toilet. Oof. Yeah. That's, um, that's rough. Yeah. Joaquin Phoenix said during a 2014 interview with Playboy, quote, My parents had a religious experience and they felt strongly about it. They wanted to share that with other people who wanted to talk about their experience with religion. These friends were like, oh, we believe in Jesus as well. I think my parents thought they'd found a community that shared their ideals. Cults rarely advertise themselves as such. It's usually someone saying, we're like-minded people. This is a community. But I think the moment my parents realized that there was something more to it, they got out. Hmm. And I think that is just a perfect quote that cults rarely advertise themselves as such. That it's one of those things that you find a group of people that you align yourself with and then as it gets deeper and deeper and deeper at what point do you look up if ever and say oh no yeah this has turned into a bad situation yeah because it just it starts so simply it's like what was i don't know if we were talking about it on here or if we were talking about it uh, if i was talking about it with somebody else or what but there was a thing about how like if you want to like get somebody ingratiated to you when you're like starting a cult or whatever like you ask them for like Mm -hmm. a simple favor like oh hey like can i borrow a pen or hey could you give me a lift to the like mechanic so i can pick up my car like something very like doable and simple but you make them feel like it is a huge fucking deal and it just like Uh it it endears you to them and that's how it starts and it's just and then it snowballs so that you don't even realize like that you are being drawn in as much as you are and that you are being essentially brainwashed as much as you are it starts with some very simple foundational work and then it just builds yeah i mean we'll eventually talk about jonestown Mm -hmm. that it started as like almost a good thing and then it just spiraled and spiraled and spiraled and by the time they got to jonestown the compound uh it became a situation where people really couldn't get out of that they were like locked down yeah and uh that's kind of uh kind of something that happens with children of god it's kind Um, of something that's happening now with a certain culty cult yeah cult spelled q u l t uh Oh, I thought I'll you were going to reference the Ezra Miller cult oh, as well. Oh, no, but that's we new. need to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Well, I, uh, I don't know if, like, we need to get into contact with some of the people for these. So you want to talk about episodes so that we can just, like, be like, hey, if you're going to, like, 
go to, do, do some something in the media stuff. yeah can you let us know so that we can plan our episodes around this please yeah. um honestly just selfish just selfish um, of them yeah. not of us never of us yeah. yes um but anyway without getting too in the weeds with children of god like i said that deserves its own episode it's often considered a christian sex cult the children were encouraged to have sex with adults and with each other the routine was they would say their prayers, then go to bed for sexual exploration, including uh, children as young as three. No, absolutely, no. Yeah. Fuck that shit, no. Yeah, so no. although Phoenix rarely talked about the cult, he stated to the Phoenix Sun in a 1994 Esquire article uh, saying, quote, they're disgusting, they ruin people's lives. Yeah. End quote. According to an interview with Details Magazine in November 1991, Phoenix stated that he first, quote-unquote, made love at the age of four with other kids. What? Quote, but I blocked it out. I was completely celibate from 10 to 14. <gasps> Which is not reassuring. That's terrifying. That is, and obviously, and that is not to shame him. That is, that is, that there were adults that, allow like this to happen children, children of god it. is a disgusting that is that is fucking that is i i don't think disgusting even covers it that's just that's abhorrent that is i mean i for what it's worth years later joaquin would claim that river was joking saying quote it was a complete and total joke it was just fucking with the press it was literally a joke because he was so tired of being asked ridiculous questions by the press end quote that's fair I, true I don't know about that. Um, Joaquin was, I think, just born or or like baby, baby infant when they got out of the cult. Mm. So I don't know how much he knows of stuff that happened. When River was three years old when they entered the cult. So yeah. he was wow. the oldest and he would have had the most... Uh, experience or most memories of what it was like being there like and and it could have also been just like a like how you want to protect your sibling it could have been it could be and i'm not saying it from the perspective of joaquin trying to protect his brother and his brother's memory though of course that could also be it but more like you know, like when something bad happens and you tell like your little sibling, like when your the parents tell the younger siblings and stuff like that, like it's just like, yeah. oh, like, no, that didn't happen. Or, oh, like not in like a culty way, but just in a like, we're protecting your innocence sort of way. Like the dog went yeah. off, to, went to the farm instead of. Yeah. And we'll, t we'll talk about in a little bit. River did feel very, um, very much ownership over his family that felt like he needed to be the provider for his family mm. that I can believe that he would downplay anything to his siblings or his family just to protect them. keep the peace and protect yeah. them. Um, but anyway, eventually Arlene Bottom grew disillusioned with the children of cult when uh, they children of cult. The children of God, when the cult started preaching that women should use sex to recruit male members in practice called flirty fishing, mm -mm. which is wild. Um, she admitted, quote, the guy running it got crazy. He sought to attract rich disciples through sex. No way. End quote. So the family had to escape. 
They first moved into a home outside of the Venezuelan commune, then stowed away on a toy-filled freighter headed for the United States and ended up in Englewood, Florida. From there, they fled to Los Angeles. They wanted to celebrate leaving the Christian sect and thought that their escape was like rising from the ashes. So in order to symbolize how they felt, they changed their last name and their children's last names from Bottom to Phoenix. The mythical bird uh, is a symbol of resurrection from the ashes, and it serves as a symbol of the Bottom Phoenix's new life outside the children of God. Mm. So um, those close to Phoenix wonder if his involvement in the children of God might have played a part in his ultimate death. Greenbaum said, quote, it was not a healthy situation. You can't go through that trauma at such a young age and not be affected by it for the rest of your life, yeah. end quote. And it did seem like the family may have perpetuated some of the questionable beliefs around sex with their children uh, moving forward. For instance, this is just one story I saw. When Phoenix resumed having sex at age 15, he did so in a tent in the family's backyard decorated by his parents. Corey Feldman, one of the co-stars on Stand By Me, says that Phoenix referred to it as his quote-unquote second virginity. The girl was a family friend, and they went to both sets of parents to ask for their blessing first. That's very sex positive. I mean... It, yeah, it's just... It's young. It's very young. But, like... Uh, but just... It's just weird. It's something that I, that you don't see a lot, right? Yeah, and I, but I mean, for me at least, I'm trying to think if that's got anything to do with my like hardcore Catholic upbringing that I'm like hmm. maybe yeah. But at the same time, like I think it's we always talk about like how parents should create a dialogue with their kids where they feel comfortable enough to go to them about like you know like stuff like sex and drugs and all of yeah. that. I mean, they're they're walking the walk. They're they made it an open thing. They tried to be supportive. It's just... And I would guess, like, if you were involved in literally, like, a, a sex cult, cult yes. uh, and were traumatized at such a young age, I think maybe therapy is before... Yeah. You, you want to have a positive association, ultimately, with sex, but, but at 15 years old, your brain's not done yet. No. So maybe you need to figure out what happened to you as a child before you can make such a, a, a big decision. Yeah, I think that's totally valid, yeah. But, I mean, not my life, not my kids, so... True. I guess you do you. Yeah. Uh, but now we're going to get a little bit into Reverend Phoenix's career. He had quite an interesting career um, in many different walks of life. So before getting into acting, which would ultimately shoot Phoenix stardom, he intended to become a recording artist. He and his siblings tried to forge a career in music by playing covers on the streets of Westwood District of Los Angeles, often being asked, often being moved along by the police because they were gathering crowds and would obstruct the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. But it was at one of these impromptu shows that talent agent Iris Burton saw the kids playing and was so charmed by them that she soon represented all of the children. Phoenix started his acting career doing commercials for Mitsubishi, Ocean Spray, and Saks Fifth Avenue. Ooh. And soon afterward, he and his siblings were signed by Paramount Pictures casting director Penny Marshall. River and Rain were quickly assigned to a show called Real Kids as audience warm-up performers. In 1980, a 10-year-old Phoenix began to fully 
pursue his career as an actor, making his first appearance on TV on a show called Fantasy, singing with his sister Rain. Um, I don't know if this is exactly true because it's not listed on his IMDb, but it could have been one of those like quick blip things and like it wasn't credited. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but in 1982, Phoenix was cast in the short-lived CBS series Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, in which he starred as the youngest brother, Guthrie McFadden. Mm-hmm. According to stories, Phoenix arrived at the auditions with his guitar and promptly burst into a convincing Elvis Presley impersonation, charming the show's producers. And by this age, Phoenix was already an accomplished tap dancer. So just a sponge was just absorbing any type of artistic talent, just dancing, singing, playing instruments, acting, was just immediately good at everything. And uh, almost a year after Seven Brothers ended, Phoenix played a small role in the 1984 TV movie Celebrity. Less than a month later, he starred as Brian, a young boy who learns he has dyslexia, in the ABC after-school special Backwards, The Riddle of Dyslexia. Joaquin even had a small role alongside his brother in the film. In September 1984, the pilot episode of short-lived TV series It's Your Move aired. Phoenix was cast as Brian, again, a different Brian, Mm -hmm. and only had one line of dialogue. He also starred as Robert Kennedy's son, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., in the TV movie Robert Kennedy and His Times. Although he was firmly becoming an actor, Phoenix used the first $650 he made from acting to purchase his prized possession, which was a guitar that he used to write, quote, progressive ethereal folk rock. Aww. Yeah. Love that. I, I think music was, like, ultimately what he wanted to do. Yeah, it sounds like it. And he did. He did. We'll get into more of uh, musical talents he got into. But uh, after his role in dyslexia, he was critically acclaimed, Phoenix was almost immediately cast in a major role in the made-for-TV movie Surviving, A Family Crisis. He starred as Philip Brogan alongside Molly Ringwald and Heather O'Rourke. Halfway through the filming of Surviving, Iris Burton contacted him about a possible role in the film Explorers. In 1984, sorry, in October of 1984, Phoenix secured the role of geeky boy scientist Wolfgang Mueller in Joe Dante's big-budget science fiction film Explorers alongside Ethan Hawke, and production began soon after. Released in the summer of 1985, this was Phoenix's first major motion picture role. After that, he had a part in an episode of Family Ties. In October 1986, Phoenix co-starred alongside Tuesday Weld and Geraldine Fitzgerald, in the acclaimed CBS television movie Circle of Violence, a family drama. So um, we're seeing a lot of uh, kind of an expertise in being in dramas as a young child. Uh, And this this one was the story of uh, domestic elder abuse. Oh. That's a a rough movie to begin. Yeah, yeah, that's a... Oh, God, that's fucked. Yeah. Um, but this was Phoenix's last television role before reaching film stardom. Because in 1986, he played Chris Chambers in Stand By Me. Mm-hmm. And this is one of my favorite movies. It has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, 94% audience score, 91% on Google, and an 8.1 out of 10 on IMDb. From too 1986, it, yeah, right? You should have 100% across Yes, and for those who don't know also, that's based on a Stephen King, you might be getting yes, into that. Yes, we are. It's based yes, on a Stephen co- King short story, which I love. Mm-hmm. Big fan of his, of especially film. right now. 
based on the novella. Actually, it's not a full novel. Mm -hmm. If you're intimidated to read Stephen King, you can read this one. It's called yes. The Body. Yes, it's very, it's not, it's like, oh, it's, it's. He rambles a bit. He rambles uh, a bit, but I'm saying more in terms of like the themes and everything. It's it's like it, but much less scary. It's not really scary. It's more like a coming of age it without yes. the clowns and the yes. orgy yes. and a girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's no girls. <laughs> no girls allowed. No girls at all. Actually, no girls allowed. Now. Yeah. Because that was something I had I to read it in yeah. high school. And that was something that like I picked up on very quickly. I'm like, yo, where are the women at? Yeah, I like to go exploring. Yeah, I know. But I mean, well, I, I, I was gonna say, and I mean, like, especially I don't know if anybody's been watching the Penguin uh, Publishing House trials right now, where they're like talking oh. about the merger or whatever. And Stephen King is one of the people who just testified about like what he thinks that would do by oh. turning the publishing industry into a monopoly. Maybe we'll do yeah. an episode on it because it is legal shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, he basically like handed their asses to them though like he was just ooh. yeah don't get a bunch of authors riled up they'll come at you so fucking articulate and like he yeah. like never in my life has the phrase murdered by words been so prevalent yeah. than reading some of the, even just reading some of the shit that he had to say during his testimonies it's not yeah. it's not a testify sort of situation but um when he went on record and he spoke about it in front of the hearing like it was ooh, ooh he nailed yeah. their asses to the wall i love stephen king so much oh and molly the thing of evil we love you we praise yes. you we bow down um but any, for anyone who doesn't know stand by me or the body it's a story about four boys during labor day weekend in 1959 who go on a hike to find a dead body mm -hmm. so that's what that's about yeah um it also stars will wheaton Corey mm -hmm. feldman jerry mm -hmm. o'connell john cusack keeper sutherland and richard dreyfus yeah. And uh, a little trivia, because, again, it's my favorite one. Mm -hmm. um, the film, it's rated R, believe it or not. Yeah, because we weren't Isn't allowed to see it in high school when we well, read the, the little, thing. The, I guess the kids are cursing a bunch. Like, maybe Yeah, that's, that's what it is. You can't say the I fuck think, word more than, like, I think it's, like, twice. Well, I think the rating system in 1986 might have been different than what it is today. I, but I think um, it was more lax. If oh, I really? remember correctly, if I remember correctly, because, because there's no there's no violence or anything. It's literally just for language. Yeah, it, it's it's because I know now, like in today's, um, they well, there's there's almost attempted violence, but yeah, but I think it's I, I, like you said, I think it's for the use of language, and I believe that n at least today, it's like you can say it either once or twice without an R rating. But then you've got to like, yeah, because because the number of movies that like get an R rating because like this, like they're really they, they are appropriate for, I'd say, like, for example, like 13 year olds. But there's so much language that people are, or the King's speech. That was another one yeah, um, where he he just curses like every other word. Yeah. But the story in and of itself is not worthy of an R rating. I would say if you're not worried about your kids hearing a couple curse words, they can watch this movie relatively young. If you have listened to our podcast with your kids present once, they'll be fine with this movie. Yeah, they'll be fine. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it was shot for $8 million and made $52.2 million upon its wide release. Mm -hmm. uh, it was nominated for two Golden Globes and an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm -hmm. And the town where it was filmed, Brownsville, Oregon, held an annual Stand By Me Day since 2007. 
even attracting international participants. Love that. On July 24th, 2010, on the 25th anniversary um, celebration of the film, it was held in Brownsville. The event included cast and crew Q&As, an amateur pie-eating contest, and an outdoor showing of the film, which I wish I could have been at. That sounds incredible. Yeah. In 2013, July 23rd was designated as Stand By Me Day by mm-hmm. the Brownsville Chamber of Commerce. To encourage tourism, the city embedded a penny in the street at the location where Vern finds one in the film. Oh, I love Isn't that. Isn't that so cute? Oh my an, god. <laughs> an advertising mural painted for the movie production has also survived in the town. And after director Rob Reiner screened the movie for Stephen King, he noticed that King was visibly shaking and wasn't speaking. Oh, I've heard about he that. He left the room and upon his return told Reiner that the movie was the best adaptation of his work that he had ever seen. Like moves you to tears yeah i think it is yeah no i totally agree and but just like i didn't even know this was stephen king like the first couple times i saw it i didn't know it was stephen king yes it's such a departure from what you think of him yes yeah yes and also i just love rob reiner like rob reiner is another one that he he did the please don't do anything he can do no wrong no but that's the thing like i don't think he can like oh that's me that's me inviting fate hang on no 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 Um, uh, but like many other movies that we've talked about before, Stand By Me is included on the 1001 Movies to See Before You Die, edited by Steven Schneider. Mm-hmm. And it is. Mm-hmm. See this movie. Yes. Um, but talking about working on the film, Will Wheaton told NPR in 2011, quote, River was cool and smart and passionate, and even as at that age, kind of like a father figure to some of us, end quote. In the campfire scene in which Chris breaks down, Rob Reiner was sure that Phoenix could do better, and he asked him to think of a time in his own life when an adult let him down and use it in the scene, which Phoenix did. Upset and crying, he had to be comforted by the director afterwards, and the result of that exercise is what is seen in the final cut of the movie. Mm. And you can imagine just learning a little bit, the little bit that I've talked about of his childhood, what he might be thinking about being let down by an adult. Yeah. He grew up in... Re- pretty much poverty in a cult where they encourage sexual contact between babies. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he felt like he was kind of the provider for his family. And like, even Will Wheaton saying that he, he seems like a father figure because he did have to take that role a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I mean, and there is a lot of that like forced maturity in this yeah. character the character and he plays as well you can see you can see definitely especially in like that time a lot of like child actors you could see in their eyes thinking of their lines or like yeah. see them vaguely mouthing other people's lines like in but harry like, potter yes yeah but river phoenix had none of that if you watch his performance just watch the movie mm-hmm. watch the movie to enjoy it but then watch it again just to look at him mm-hmm. and he is so natural and so like the perfect presence for that movie yeah, He's absolutely perfect. And even the Washington Post wrote uh, that Phoenix gave the film its quote center of gravity. End quote. He really did like tie the whole movie together. Obviously, Will Wheaton is fantastic. Jerry O'Connell's hilarious. Mm-hmm. Corey Feldman, fantastic. Like yeah. they couldn't have cast a better group of boys. Truly, to be that those kids. They yeah. had to be. Yeah. They, well, and I would even venture like truly like. It was I, I like the casting was perfect. The the cinematography was perfect. The, the locations, like adapta- everything. Yes, all of it everything was so perfect. Just such 
the per- it's the perfect movie. Yes, and and I mean, obviously, it would sound like tooting his own horn, but if I remember correctly, I think Rob Reiner also considers this to be yeah, to date, fa- like yes, best, yeah. the best movie that he's made. And so, if you're a fan of his, then like, what the fuck are you waiting for? Like, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's 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 truly. I wish I could see this movie again for the first time. And and reread it. Like, it's one of those things where, like, if you're ever wondering what to give, like, a kid who's on the precipice of like growing up coming of age all of that like gift them this movie gift them like the book that contains the story um just absolutely yeah, if, like it's if a, you it's have a kids changer. old enough to be able to see it and see like watch them watch it for the first time do it it'll it's change fantastic. their yeah. lives yeah um but phoenix commented that during the filming quote the truth is i identified so much with the role of chris chambers that if i hadn't had my family to go back to after the shoot, I'd probably have to see a psychiatrist, end quote. Um, So later that year, Phoenix played the son of Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren's characters Mm -hmm. in the Mosquito Coast. And it was during that five-month shoot in Belize that he began dating his co-star, Martha Clinton. Yes. In 1988, uh, it was a very busy year for Phoenix professionally and personally. His family continued to move on a regular basis like they had when he was a kid. One article I read said that they relocated upwards of 40 times by the time he was 18. Which also has to be really, like, as if his life isn't tough enough. Yeah. Um, Being the main earner for his family, Phoenix purchased a ranch in My Canopy, Florida, as well as 800 acres of endangered rainforest in Costa Rica. Hmm. He starred in the title role of the teen comedy drama a night in the life of jimmy reardon but was ultimately unhappy with his performance and in retrospect thought that he wasn't really right for the part i think it also could have been a thing that he had been in so many dramas and he was such a fantastic dramatic actor that making it over to comedy he felt like he couldn't land the comedy as well as he could which is interesting because comedy is seen as more difficult to do yes yeah 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 i mean uh i remember the big conversation especially when um breaking bad came out that they were like oh my god um the dad from malcolm in the middle is gonna play yeah. uh, like a drug kingpin yeah and i remember uh vince gilligan and brian cranston and like everybody in product in the production talking about how like yeah comedic actors are fantastic dramatic actors mm-hmm. they just need to be given that chance same thing with bob odenkirk yeah playing saul but um it, i don't know if it always goes the other way if dramatic actors are always good at comedy um but in this case uh phoenix didn't believe that uh he got it right in that part hmm. but during the filming phoenix wrote the song heart to get for the end credits but it was removed in the completed film but years later, director William Reichert put it back in his cut. So it's in the director's oh. cut of the movie. Okay. During the filming of the movie, Phoenix connected with Chris Blackwell of Island Records and put together a two-year development deal, and the band Alika's Attic was formed, which included his sister, Rain. And um, I didn't put it specifically in here, so I'm just talking of what I remember from reading of articles. But I remember um, that he never wanted to use his name and his fame to make the band get gigs yeah. and be better or whatever. So that he never used like his name in connection with the band when they were booking stuff. Right. 
so that the band could stand on its own and not just be like, oh, it's River Phoenix's band. Yeah. Which, like, yeah, yeah you go. You go. Yeah. Uh, but later that year, he started opposite Sidney Poitier in Little Nikita. Mm-hmm. And his next film, Running on Empty, would get him a Golden Globe and Oscar nomination. He was the sixth youngest Oscar nominee in the supporting actor category at age 18. That year, he also played a young Indiana Jones in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh. In 1990, Phoenix was in Vogue and a spokesperson for a Gap campaign. He was also in the black comedy I Love You to Death with Keanu Reeves, Tracy Mm -hmm. Ullman, and Kevin Kline. And the next year, he was in the independent movie Dogfight alongside Lily Taylor. And for any musical fans, there is a 2012 off-Broadway musical of the same name that had music and lyrics by Paston Paul of Dear Evan Hansen fame. Oh, I didn't know that. Yes, very good. Um, but this coming-of-age story is about a young Marine the night before he gets shipped off to Vietnam in November 1963. Taylor remarked that Phoenix suffered because he could not distance himself from the character, saying, quote, He also hadn't gotten into any drugs. He was just drinking them, too. It was different. That was actually hard, a hard part for him because he was so radically different. It was so radically different from who he was. He was such a hippie, and here he was playing this Marine. It actually caused him a lot of discomfort. I don't think he really enjoyed that, actually getting into that psyche, unquote. Yeah, that makes, I mean, that makes sense to me, at least. But especially, Um, like, do you, I don't know if you have this in here about how he was, like, a strict vegetarian, for example. I was, I didn't write any of it down, but I was going to mention he was a very strict vegetarian, I think, from the age of seven. Or vegan, I think. I I, I don't recall. One of those. Yeah, to the point uh, that, like, did you ever hear about the not fight that he had? Yeah, with, yeah, Martha Clinton ordered fish at a restaurant, and he, like, walked out crying, and, like, had to, like, walk around the block and everything, and was very upset with her. Yeah, but not not necessarily, like, even at her, but, like, that, because he said something to her along the lines of, like, don't you understand that they feel pain? And, like, he was feeling the animal, like, he was just so yeah. sensitive, like, and empathetic and all yeah, of that like he, he did a lot of work for PETA he yes. did a lot of like he did that's a lot of our last episode yeah yeah that's how he met Winona Ryder yep yeah he did a lot of uh a lot of volunteer work and the place that he bought in uh Florida for his family he ended up doing like a lot of local uh charities and stuff there too I love that I know he he is very very giving yeah. Well, I mean, when you grow up with nothing, it's it's always yeah. so, it's so funny because it's always the ones that like have nothing or grew up with nothing that are the most giving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, in 1991, it was the year that he would star in one of his most famous films, My Own Private Idaho, where mm-hmm. he and Keanu Reeves, uh, Keanu Reeves played street kids hustling gay men for money in an attempt to locate Phoenix's character's mother. The film is considered a landmark film in the new queer cinema and early 1990s movement in queer-themed independent filmmaking, and since its release, it has grown in popularity and been deemed a cult classic, especially among among the LGBTQ plus audiences. It's notable for its then-taboo subject matter and avant-garde style, and an Alika's Attic song uh, is used called Too Many Colors, um, it's used in that film. Phoenix took the role seriously enough to research hard drugs. One production assistant, Matt Elbert, 
uh, Ebert said there was, quote, rampant heroin use, end quote, on the set. And while Phoenix was new to using, quote, it didn't take him long to go from, you know, a casual user to having an intense drug problem. Mm. And, and spoiler alert, he passes away in 1993. So this is 1991. Yeah. So that is a very short amount of time. Mm-hmm. that intensely entwined with drugs. But you're a celebrity, cool. you can get it anywhere. Yeah. Um, in 1992, Phoenix starred with Robert Redford and Cindy Poitier in the conspiracy and espionage thriller called Sneakers. A month later, he began production on the art house ghost western Silent Tongue, although that movie wouldn't be released until 1994. He also made a small cameo in the 1993 film Even Cowgirls Get the Blues, which co-starred his sister Rain. Oh. And The Thing Called Love was the last completed film Phoenix made before his death. During the production, he began a relationship with his co-star, Samantha Mathis. By the time filming began, Phoenix was heavily into drugs. After he stumbled through one scene repeatedly, his eyes unfocused, his agent, and his mother flew in to babysit him on location. Mm. By then, his mother had changed her name to Hart and was managing his career. His father had moved to the property in Costa Rica, where the two would fight about his father's drinking and the son's career. John believed that Hollywood was corrupt and evil and wanted River to quit. Phoenix, meanwhile, would blow off opportunities like Reality Bites, which did so much for Ethan yeah. Hawke's career, and then accused his agency of hiding scripts from him. I think this was probably drug-related. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but after his 23rd birthday in August 1993, Phoenix flew down to Costa Rica with his siblings and, and to see his father. John was going to open a vegan restaurant down there and was using the trip to hopefully persuade his children to leave Hollywood. Mm. John explained, quote, the idea was for them to spend more time here, helping with the cooking, making music, writing, harvesting the organic fruit, and living off the land like we used to, quote. Either finally convinced or just tired of arguing about it, River agreed and said that once all of his projects that he was signed on to were done, he would quit acting and move to Costa Rica. When he headed back to Hollywood after the trip, he said to his father, quote, I'll see you after this movie, Dad, end quote. And that was the last time his father saw him alive. Oh. In late October 1993, Phoenix was filming Dark Blood in Utah and New Mexico, and he wasn't needed for a night shoot, so the director allowed him to return home to California. Mm. In his memoir, Running With Monsters, musician and Phoenix's friend Bob Forrest wrote that in the days leading up to his death, Phoenix was on a drug binge with the Red Hot Chili Peppers guitarist John Frusciante. Quote, River stayed with John for the next few days and probably didn't get a minute of sleep. The drug routine stayed pretty consistent for all of us. First, smoke crack or shoot coke directly into the vein for for that 90-second electric brain bell jangle. Then shoot heroin to get a grip and come down able enough to carry on a conversation for a few minutes before you start the cycle again. And <sighs> I mean, and it sounds horrible, but it also, it sounds kind of like, obviously he's deep in the throes of addiction right now, but yeah. also because he knows that like, this is it. Like he goes back to Costa Rica and the movie career is over. The drugs guess, are going to be over. Know. He never, like there was a couple of quotes. Um, he was on the red carpet for something and uh somebody asked him like isn't it crazy to like be a celebrity like isn't it like awesome he's like not really 
Oh yeah, no, but I mean that he's leaving that life to be a celebrity. No, but I mean that he's leaving that life where drugs are going to be easily accessible because he's always going to be around his parents. He's always going. He's going to be away from where he's getting all of these drugs in Hollywood. That he's like checking his career at the door. And but even then, I don't know if he really wanted to do the drugs so much. I don't know. I don't know if that was like. I mean, if you're an addict, I guess you don't really want to, but you kind of feel like you have to. Not, not, you know what I mean? Like, it's like breathing. Yeah. Like, it's just, I, I, having known addicts. Yeah. And I believe he had a drinking problem before he had a drug problem, which is usually how it goes. Yeah, it's a gateway. Yeah. Um, But the morning of October 30th, 1993, Phoenix went to work after pulling an all-nighter and took a Valium before arriving to bring himself down. Mm-hmm. Director George Sulzer noticed and said, quote, he was not 100% in control of his body movements, but there was no problem with his acting, so there was no reason for me to interview him. Which I think any time you should step in, because that is not cool. But it it was 1993, I don't know. Yeah. Well, he was a huge star. Yeah. Uh, That evening, Phoenix headed to a party in the Hollywood Hills with Joaquin and Rain. At the party, 18-year-old uh, Leonardo DiCaprio spotted River in the crowd, and he idolized River, and although he couldn't get close enough to talk to him, he did get a good look at his face, and later said, quote, he was beyond pale. He looked white. Oh, wow. Yeah. After the party, Phoenix uh, and his siblings made their way to the Viper Room on mm-hmm. Sunset Boulevard. The place had only been open for a couple of months. Johnny Depp looking for a cool underground place to listen to music and bought the space with associates. It quickly became one big VIP room with all the famous faces in the crowd rather than performing on stage. Some nights, Depp would host late-night parties for his friends, and author Gavin Edwards would say in his book, which I'll talk about in a minute, quote, Kate Moss might get behind the bar, Naomi Campbell might dance with security, Depp might have a long conversation with Chrissy Hines, about religion, on those days, Depp had reduced the Viper Room to his essence, a party room for him and his celebrity pals. And it was said that although the space was kind of dingy and like divey, it was a haven for celebrities to escape the limelight and kick back and look like civilians. It also allowed them to take drugs without fans or paparazzi chronicling their vendors. Mm. However, Sugar Ray singer Mark McGrath told Showbiz Cheat Sheet that the nightclub also started the paparazzi culture. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Know. They go to where all the of the celebrities are, are going. Yeah. yeah. And if you know they're all going to be there, and then one picture comes out, it's like, you don't look so good leaving that club, uh, then maybe it starts to get a little bit pop- popular that you can get a, an unflattering shot of somebody there. Well, that and, story. and that you can get, because if everybody is going there, that you can get, like, let's say, like, okay, a shot of Depp goes for five grand, a shot of River Phoenix goes for 7500 yeah. Like, you just spend 10 minutes photograph people as they leave, and you've made, like, a fuck yeah. ton of money in one night. Yeah. Uh, but that night, Phoenix's girlfriend, Samantha Mathis, thought that they were just going to drop off walking in rain, uh, because... Walking and Rain were underage, and yeah. uh, you could get underage people into the club if you were a celebrity. Just mm. you would kind of look the other way. I yeah. think that's a lot of, you. but I think that's a lot of bars. If you're like a regular, maybe you can slip somebody by because yeah, they know you. Notice, yeah. Um, but 
they thought so she th- she was like we're just here to drop off Joaquin and Rain then we're going back to my place but River had brought his guitar to the club and he said to her oh there are some people playing music tonight at the club and they want me to play with them that's okay right and she was annoyed she wanted to go right back to her house with him and uh, she said she felt off she said quote I knew something was wrong that night something I didn't understand I didn't see anyone doing drugs but he was high in a way that made me uncomfortable I was in way over my head. And regardless, she agreed to stay, thinking that they wouldn't be there very long. He was going to play with the the band P, which consisted of a mix of famous musicians. But his buddy Flea of the Red Hot Chili Peppers Mm -hmm. told him that all the space on the stage was taken. So he headed back to his table to share the evening with Samantha Mathis and his brother and sister. And I'm going to say here that I did see... Lots of varying stories of what conspired the hours before that he died. Some people said that he went to that party with Leonardo DiCaprio. Some people said that um, he was partying in his hotel room and then went to the club. Like there are varying things. Some people say that he he did play. He was playing music with them earlier in the night. I don't know. This is just from the resources that I found. And I couldn't get a hold of the book early enough to be able to read it, to finish it. So I don't know what Gavin Edwards fully says of the hours before that night, but this is what I have. So according to the sources that I found, uh, when he was sitting at the table with uh, Samantha, his brother and sister, he took a drink from a friend, somebody that he had twice taken to rehab, and he gulped it down without asking what was in it. And turns out it was a liquid speedball, which is a mix of cocaine and heroin. Uh, Soon after, he went up to Bob Forrest and told him that he thought he was overdosing. Um, Forrest told him that he was fine, and Phoenix walked away. After he passed, Forrest said, quote, I still have guilt that I dismissed his worries so casually. Yeah. It wasn't long after. Yeah. I mean, anytime, I would say if you've done drugs enough, uh, and then you tell someone you think you're overdosing, maybe look into that a little bit more. Yeah. They should know what it feels like to be in a bad situation. Yeah. And even if, even if they're not overdosing and they say, I'm not in a good way, maybe take them to the hospital. Or just, yeah, or keep an eye on them, take care of them, like something. Give them some water, maybe. Yeah, yeah, at the very least. Like, I mean, but at the yeah. same time, who's to say, like... Do we know what Bob Forrest was on? Like maybe. Well, that it just was the other thing. So he he didn't say for years, uh, like that he had spoken to River before he passed because he himself was not in a good way and didn't want people to look at him uh, to see what drugs he had. So yeah. it was just not a good situation. Yeah. Um. But it wasn't long after that that Phoenix vomited and slumped over in his chair. Edward speculates that if an ambulance had been called at that moment, Phoenix might have been saved. I think that's maybe hit or miss. Like, you don't know how fast it could have traveled through his body or whatever, how fast somebody could have gotten there. Like, there's so many different factors. But instead, Joaquin and Rain took him out of the club. Uh, there he fell to the ground and went into seizures, and Rain sat on his chest to still them and tried to give him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Ugh. The 19-year-old Joaquin called 911 and cried, quote, 
please, you have to get over here. Please, he's having seizures. Please, he's dying. Please. Oh my god. And to be, like, 19, he's 19 watching yeah. your, your big brother yeah. dying, like, he's a baby. You can hear the 911 call. It is heartbreaking. Yeah, I don't think I could. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't think I... It's terrible. Yeah, uh, but oh mu- god. So music was still playing inside, but when the news came through... Uh, Flea jumped off the stage and ran outside. Paramedics wow. had arrived, but Phoenix was already gone. Oh and my God. so River Phoenix was formally declared dead at Cedar Sinai at 1.51 a.m. on Halloween 1993. He was 23 years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is astonishing. Yeah. It's Especially because I just read you basically his IMDb. All of that he did before the age of 24. Yeah. Yeah. He had, That's astounding. Yeah, he had accomplished so much. He had accomplished a lifetime's worth of work. Yeah. In such a short, a, a fragment of what a typical lifetime is, what it should have been for him. And it's just, it's... That's and why it's so, it's so tragic. Yeah. Because, like, I had read in another article that he was talking to Samantha Mathis and saying something like, I just need to make enough money for my last sister to go, get through college, and then I'm done. Oh. Like, he, he felt, because so, I think his dad had drinking problems, so he often mm-hmm. felt like he was the father figure in yeah. the family. Yeah. So he was like, I need to take care of my siblings. I need to make sure they're set. And I think that was probably, like, he didn't, I don't believe he truly wanted to, to be at the celebrity level that he was sort of becoming. Mm-hmm. And maybe the drugs were something to uh, take the edge off while he made these movies and made enough money for his family. Yeah, I mean, and it's just... He didn't really get a chance to be a kid. Yeah, because his childhood was ripped away from him by this fucking cult. Yeah, and so what do you... Like, okay, well then I'm gonna do this, not just to like take my mind off the fact that all of these traumatic things have happened but also because like okay i didn't get to do all of that fun shit when i was a kid i'm gonna live it up now and i'm gonna make yeah. up for lost time and it's just it's very easy to just fall into I, God. yeah um but two weeks later the toxicology report was released and it was said that phoenix had lethal levels which would be eight times the lethal dose of heroin and cocaine in his system when he died. Oh my god. In addition, he had Valium, marijuana, and ephedrine? I don't know what that is. Uh, also Epi- present. Epinephrine? No, it's E-P-H-E-D-R-I-N-E. Ephedrine? I don't know. It sounds a bad. Something bad. Yeah, I was gonna say, it sounds like like a type of stimulant. Like Yeah. They, they all they all kind of sound like you know what I mean like they all sound yeah, like the, but, the like you know but he had a lot of he had a lot of stuff going on That's a lot yeah and according to the coroner the drugs were not found in Phoenix's stomach and there were no track marks found on his body uh, it was hmm. then guessed that the drugs were ingested by snorting the uh. autopsy report listed Phoenix's official cause of death as quote acute multiple drug intoxication end quote. The report also contained an account of the events of the night the Phoenix died, which read, quote, while at the club, attendees report the uh, deceased speedballing and then taking volume, end quote. Damn. Yeah. 
Though also, I mean, I don't appreciate... Like, I understand that they're they're portraying this as, like, a fact of the matter. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's sort of like, okay, like, this is what happened. But it's just, like, it... It demonizes it. And, like, he was clearly a victim of addiction, just like so many other yeah. people are and have been. And it just... I mean, I didn't see... I didn't see anywhere in my in my research that I did. Again, I didn't. I wasn't able to um, to read the whole book before uh, doing right. this episode, but I didn't see anything that he ever went to rehab. I don't. I don't uh, know yeah. that he did. I don't think he did. Like I. I again. I haven't gone down the rabbit hole nearly as much as you have, but I don't remember reading anything about that. I like. Yeah. I think, and uh, that brings me back to like I think that uh, Costa Rica might have become his rehab like that could have been his rehab that he was getting away from all of the stress all of the like work that he was doing and all of the access to drugs yeah i mean i think costa rica has its own set of drugs especially in the early 90s yes Um, it does but maybe like being away from the paparazzi and being away from the influence and um like, I'm sure he had readily available d- drugs with members of the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yes. And uh, That's more several what I'm other saying. friends that had stuff on them. Yeah, because Hollywood, it's more like, like, I mean, that shit is on, it's like, it's like a Starbucks. Like, it yeah. comes, it's on every corner, and it is, it is, everybody has some, and oh like you can like have a little bit of this or have it comes in different flavors and different colors and different this and different that and so i think that by removing yourself because you're not around all of those people that can supply you with it you're in costa fucking rica yeah. that it's not I, it, yeah it could've, maybe it could have been really good for him yeah we'll never know. i was gonna say we don't get to know yeah which is so, tragic it was only later hours later that Depp learned that it was phoenix that had died outside of his club. And mourners left handwritten notes, flowers, and scrawled memorials on the door. Depp, who had many friends in common with Phoenix, had the door unhinged and sent to the Phoenixes in Florida. Oh, wow. The Viper Room temporarily closed in Phoenix's honor for a period of time, and although it eventually reopened, many regulars said that it was never the same again. Yeah. And... Depp had a hard time personally and in the press after Phoenix's death in front of the place that he co-owned. Shortly after, Depp released a statement to the press saying, quote, fuck you, I will not be disrespectful to River's memory. I will not participate in your fucking service. Good. Honestly, like, I mean, it's... Yeah. It's just, it's really... It's heartbreaking. Yeah, he he was a kid. Yeah. Years later, Depp said in an interview, quote, when River passed away, it happened to be at my club. Now, that's very tragic, very sad, but they made it a fiasco of lies to sell fucking magazines. Mm-hmm. They said he was doing drugs in my club, that I allow people to do drugs in my club. What a ridiculous fucking thought. Hey, I'm going to spend a lot of money on this nightclub so everyone can come here and do drugs. I think that's a good idea, don't you? We'll never get found out. It's not like this place is high profile or anything, right? That lie was ridiculous and disrespectful to re- to River, but aside from River and his family trying to deal with their loss, what about the people who work at the club? They have moms and dads in like Oklahoma reading about the place where their daughter tends bar and thinking, Jesus, she's out in Hollywood swimming around with these awful creatures. End quote. Yeah. Well, and and that 
they're so quick to blame where it happened and not like going to the root of it and like why are these drugs so easily available where are they coming yeah. from like I not don't think it, that he didn't allow people to do drugs in the place but he there was nothing done to stop it no but at the same time and i'm not i'm not saying this to justify but i think it's it's kind of the question is more okay how do you stop it when it's it's the 90s yeah yeah like what 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 steps can you take what steps could he as a singular person take to be like okay like no drugs like what like what do you do there like especially because you've got so many high profile people coming you then you can't necessarily be like i mean you can but you're putting them at risk if you're just like for example searching them at the door because they're trying to get inside and away from the paparazzi and away from fans that are grabbing at them and everything like it's just it's it's a lot of it's a i don't know that you can necessarily put all of the onus on him and his fellow owners yeah and and to be fair uh phoenix was pretty well lit as samantha Samantha mathis said that she's she's like we got there and i knew he was high yeah so he was he already had something in his system that maybe whatever small additional thing that he took didn't mix well again i don't know about all that but initially depp said it was hard returning to the viper room and uh he felt haunted walking past the spot where phoenix died Mm. saying quote i couldn't go into the club without thinking of it end quote yeah eventually though depp uh quote came to terms with the fact that it had nothing to do with the club end quote and continued quote he was here a very short time it had nothing to do with anything really except that what he ingested was bad and now there's nothing we can do Mm. And that seems a little dismissive. Yeah, that's... I don't like that. Not great. He's friend, but whatever. In an interview with Playboy, Depp said... uh, Depp was asked if he shed tears the night of Phoenix's death. He thought it was a weird question, which that's a really weird question. It's a fucked up question to ask somebody. But replied, quote, Yes, I shed tears when I heard somebody had died. It wasn't until later, about four or five in the morning, that they told me it was River. It was so sad to see a young life end. And now I'm starting to feel like I'm on the Barbara Walters special. Are you going to make me cry? Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, really, like, what the fuck kind of question is that to ask? Would you walk up to somebody that you, that wasn't famous, that you didn't know and be like, hey. Did you you cry cry? when your friend died? Yeah. Yeah. Like, who the fuck asks that? Like, it's just, it's invasive. And it's, and it's further proof of, well, that's Playboy, but also it's further proof of just like the beast that was hollywood that still is hollywood but that especially like at the time that it was like it's just it drives the point further yeah exactly um but every anniversary of phoenix's death Depp closed the viper room however it went back to normal for the most part in 1995 Depp held his girlfriend kate moss's 21st birthday at the club mm. so that was only two years later yeah um and i Depp has since sold his shares in the club, so I don't mm. believe he's co-owner anymore. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but Joaquin recalled having a difficult time grieving as the paparazzi often harassed the Breed family. He said, quote, there are helicopters flying over, there are people trying to sneak onto your land. Certainly for me, it felt like it impeded the mourning process, right? End quote. He also said that he soon began to think of his late brother as the ultimate inspiration for his acting. Mm. He said, quote, 
I feel like in virtually every movie that I made, there was a connection to River in some way. And I think that we've all felt his presence and guidance in our lives in numerous ways. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the pop culture, there are many, many shows that uh, try to chronicle the last hours of River Phoenix's life. Um, there is an E! True Hollywood story. It's actually mm-hmm. season one, episode one. Oh, really? It's the, it's the first E! True Hollywood story in 1997. Wow. It's about River Phoenix. Yeah. Um, the final 24, uh, an episode about River Phoenix, is season one, episode three. That came out in 2006. That's 7.4 out of 10 on IMDb. River Phoenix, his final hours from 2010. You can watch it on Amazon Prime Video. It has four out of five. Um, there's Autopsy, The Last Hours of. Uh, River Phoenix is the subject of Season 3, Episode 1 from 2014 with a 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb. And uh, Biography did a special on River called Eclipse by Death, The Life of River Phoenix. It's from 2002. Mm. And experimental Santa Cruz filmmaker Cam Archer produced a documentary called Drowning River Phoenix as part of his American Fame series. Um, And also, weirdly, James Franco used unseen footage of My Own Private Idaho that he edited into two separate experimental long features with Gus Van Zandt's blessing. Gus Van Zandt's the director. Um, Endless Idaho, which is a 12-hour edit of outtakes, deleted scenes, alternate takes, and behind-the-scenes footage with music by Luke Paquin and Tim O'Keefe. And the second film is My Own Private River, which is 100 minutes focused on River's performance and how he drifted into his role, set to a score by R.E.M.'s Michael Stipe. And both of these movies were shown at the Gagosian Gallery in Beverly Hills from February 19th to April 9th, 2011, in an exhibit called Unfinished, along with a series of watercolors by Van Zandt, reminiscing of the movie's characters. Mm. Um, There are a couple books. I've talked about uh, the most famous one, which is Last Night at the Viper Room, River Phoenix and the Hollywood He Left Behind by Gavin Edwards from 2013. And Gavin Edwards is a Rolling Stone reporter and wrote this biography of River Phoenix as um, a study of how Hollywood and fame affected people and the impression that River left on people that he met Mm -hmm. as a 4.5 out of 5 on Amazon. Um, there is In Search of River Phoenix, The Truth Behind the Myth by Barry C. Lawrence, and it is a complete encyclopedic book about the life of River Phoenix from his parents' beginning, his birth, member of the religious cult, TV acting, activism, veganism, and his movie career. It really covers everything. It's got a 4.4 out of 5 on Amazon. There is also River Phoenix, A Short Life uh, by Brian J. Robb, and this came out in 1995, and it was the first book published about Phoenix after his death. Mm-hmm. It has a 4.8 out of 5 on Amazon. There is also Lost in Hollywood, The Fast Times and Short Life of River Phoenix by John Blatt from 1995, and um, it has a bunch of interviews with Hollywood insiders, friends, colleagues, family members, and um, explorers every part of Phoenix's life and reveals the confusion, private demons, and destructive path that led to his death. Mm. Um, In July 2020, it was reported that Phoenix heavily influenced the forthcoming novel by British novelist Guy Minkowski, Dead Rock Stars, in which a character is named after him. Oh. 
and the scene of Phoenix's death also, also merits several mentions in William Gibson's book, Spook Country. Um, there's actually a bunch of songs that I didn't know about, too. In River, a song by Tiger Lily, uh, Natalie Merchant defends Phoenix as she admonishes the media for systemically dissecting the child actor after his death. Belinda Carlisle's song uh, from 1996, California, refers to Phoenix's death in the lyrics. I remember I was in the tanning salon when I heard that River Phoenix was gone. They say that only the good die young, but that ain't true where I come from, California, California. No. Um, Phoenix was the subject of a controversial song by Australian group PISM titled He'll Never Be, He'll Never Be an Old Man River. Uh, the song originally featured a mock-up of Phoenix's tombstone as its cover art in 1995. Mm. Yeah, the chorus features the line, quote, I'm on the drug that killed River Phoenix. Uh, Not chill. That's in poor taste. Yes. Um, Brazilian singer Milton Nascimento wrote the lyric, River Phoenix, uh, sorry, wrote the song, River Phoenix, a letter to a young actor about uh, seeing him in the Mosquito Coast in 1986. The song appears on the 1989 uh, release, Milton's. Mm. So I'm going to catch a scream for no reason. He's, he's um, mourning. Be nice. Yeah. Uh, rapper Tyler, the creator, references Phoenix in 2017's Flower Boy, um, saying, quote, Boy, I need a Kleenex. How far... Sorry, I You're read fine. a line too far. <laughs> Boy, I need a Kleenex. How I got this far, boy, I can't believe it that I got this car, so I take scenic passenger, a white boy, look like River Phoenix. There is also a lesser known reference to River Phoenix in a Final Fantasy, what is that? Eight? Sure. I, I think don't that's know. An eight. I don't Roman know. Numeral. I can't see. <laughs> uh, the main protagonist is Squall Lionheart. Uh, the lead character designer for the game stated that he modeled the character on Phoenix during development and even gave the character the same birthday. And a couple of memorials and influence uh, just last bits to go out on. In 2012, Phoenix's mother co-founded the nonprofit organization River Phoenix Center for Peacebuilding, which provides and promotes the best practices and principles for, of peacebuilding and global sustainability. Mm -hmm. um, during his acceptance speech for Best Actor at the 92nd Academy Awards, Joaquin Phoenix honors his brother by stating, quote, When he was 17, my brother wrote this lyric. He said, run to the rescue with love and peace will follow. Mm -hmm. Joaquin and partner Runa Mari uh, named their, Mara, sorry, named Rooney their Mara. son River, Rooney Mara. You got it, named the, I, I know. You got I, it. The home stretch. Uh, they named their son River after him. Oh, I didn't know that. That's who. Yes, I think he was born in 2020. He, yeah, possibly. he was born relatively recently. Yes, his name is River. Uh, Gus Van Zant, with whom Phoenix worked in the films My Own Private Idaho, um, dedicated his 1994 movie, Even Cowgirls Get the Blues, to him, as well as his 1997 novel, Pink. Both are dedicated to River. And that is the story of River Phoenix. And vaguely just brushed upon the children of God's fault. Mm. Damn. 
Like, that's just, oh. it's, it was sad, still sad, will always be sad. Yeah. Just, I don't know. Such a good actor. Yeah. Now I want to go watch Stand By Me. Right? But before we do that, we should probably do some housekeeping. And what is that? Um, I was anticipating you starting that off, so I, mean, I you can fucked go to, it up. You can go to our website, crimeculturepodcast.tumblr.com. You can find all of our social media there. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're also on Patreon for mm. a dollars, as much as whatever you want. You can support us and get some fun stuff. Uh, you can get episodes early. You can get postcards from us. You can vote on episodes. Uh, that sort of stuff. Yeah. And if you're listening, it's too late to get rid... Oh, Beanie! He's got things to say. Um, Bean, you, you, you threw off my groove. Um, <laughs> no, not you. Not you. Bean needs to be held accountable for his actions. Um... It is about that time. Yeah. It is quite literally not, I like to quote Lizzo, about that time. Um, and we will be doing, once again, our secret Satan for October, which means it's mm-hmm. almost spooktober, which means we got to get to going. So for those who are new, they weren't around last year, they were curious last year, they want to try it out again, we have a new, we have an improved secret Satan. And we... We'll have all of the details on the Google form. Is that what we call it, Haley? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. You, you've got to fill out a form. If you don't know, Secret Satan is basically a secret Santa, but for the superior holiday of Halloween. Yes. So you'll get paired up with another crime culture friend, yeah. and uh, you will make or gift somebody something. For uh, the budget of no more than $25. Yes. And um, you'll get paired with this person. You'll find out what they like, what they don't like, what they're interested in. And uh, maybe that will help guide you to give them their gift. And we will all open our stuff on Halloween. Because we, as uh, me and Caitlin, do a... Hollow um, stream. Hollow stream. A live stream. <laughs> Uh, where we watch a spooky movie. Yes. Which will, more details on that as we get closer to Spooky yes. Over. But, um, yeah. It's going to uh, be a fun time. You've got until yeah. September 13th, Tuesday, September 13th, to sign up. If you have any questions, please let us know. Um, if you are an international listener and you're like, oh, I don't know if I can join. We found some success with our international listeners last year. Stevie, I'm yeah. looking at you. You hooked a girl up. Um we've found that Etsy works really well. Like you can find somebody in that country who's a seller and send things that way. Or you can do, um, I heard whispers of people that were like, okay, I'm going to email them an Amazon gift card and be like, go forth. Um, like you can just, you can do what as much or as little as you want. Just within $25. Within, yes. I was going to say, just like, don't, don't go crazy. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, that's, so that's a fun time. If you do have any questions, you can email us at crimeculturepod at gmail.com. Yes. And uh, we will have the link to the, uh, the little questionnaire Google form that you fill out on our link tree, which you can find in any of the bios of any of our social media. 
Hell yeah. So go check that out. And with that, I think we're done. I think we're going to see you next Tuesday. We are going to see you next Tuesday, right, Bean? Oh. <laughs> you might not be able to hear him in the recording because Elliot has to take out a lot of background noise because I have the air conditioner on. But he did but do a reply. He's there. He, did, he, did. he did have a thing to say. As usual, I'd so, have mine have things to say, but alas, they are. So we're going to see you next Tuesday. Bye. Peace. Bye. Yeah. I can't breath longer than you. No. <laughs>